Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Good morning. Welcome to Real Presence Live. I am Heather Caro. And I am Joe Rutten. Joe Rutten. How are we doing, Heather? Good. How are you? Well, I was kind of like timid, calm, relaxed. Yeah, we did like a mic a... check, and that was not accurate. No, and they're like, Joe, that's not how you're going to Joe, talk. let's do it again. Well, I don't know. I'm like not all fired up yet. I got, well, <laughs> It just takes the bell, you know, the, the, the bell to ring, and next thing you know, here we go. So, we But go. I was on for an hour already this morning with uh, Rutten Radio. I know, Radio, you must be exhausted. And I'm just tired. Yeah, you had to yeah, get up real it's early. It's been a long day. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, already hearing great reviews about the show, Rutten Radio. Well, all I remember is two things. Number one, I talked a lot. I what? Got a, I got, yeah, I was like, as I, you know, it's pre-recorded. Yeah. So as I listened to it this morning, I was like, when am I going to stop? talking right here. Am I done yet? <laughs> <laughs> Don't, uh, I hate funny. listening to myself oh, it's, it's after really the hard. fact. It's, it's really, terrible. really hard. It's only because I'm in the car. Yeah. That's why. Otherwise, I typically don't. I, I can't, don't either. I can't do it. Yeah. Um, but in the second thing was, there's a moment in there a few minutes in where we start laughing and it is... I love it. I mean, Those it's so best. healing to the soul. <laughs> yeah. Victor Frankl, a great uh, uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, wrote a book on his experience in Auschwitz, and he calls humor a weapon of the soul. And wow. I think I think right now we need the weapon Those of humor. Those two things don't go together in my mind. Right, right. Wow. But think about the healing power of laughter, right? And, mm-hmm. and you don't have it a lot. I mean, you don't get those moments very often where it's just like, you know, the belly rolling laughter. where Except you just... in church when you're supposed to behave. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's the way we felt. We we're like, we, every, right, every, right, every right. time we, we wanted to get serious and go back at it, we'd look at each other and <laughs> we'd lose it again. So, yeah, it was a great show this morning on Rutten Radio, but that is not what we're here well, for Well, I want to tell people where they can find it. Oh, yes. we uh, So... Obviously, Real Presence Radio has their whole programming, and you can find Rutten Radio within their lineup mm-hmm. of shows. And we're like right in between Father Mike Schmitz and uh, Bishop Barron. Good you know? grief. Wow. Right, right, right. But we also thought, you know, we, we should have an app, as, or we should have our own podcast as well. And so we just created a Rutten Radio podcast that That's you can awesome. get in your app store. So go in there, click on Rutten Radio. You can download it and then interact with us always as you want. Uh, at Real Presence uh, Radio or on our Rutten Radio Facebook page. So. That's awesome. I love it. Great yep, show. Well, yep. we have a fantastic show this morning. It's I think you great. might have something to do with a couple of the guests. I think I know a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind these first uh, two guests that we have. Well, my work at Mount Marty University has uh, been fantastic and part of what i get to do is collaboratively work with the entire academy all of the faculty members in their particular disciplines and just have a conversation about their discipline as it relates to elements that we're seeking to integrate into the full curriculum of catholic social teaching 
virtuous living and the Benedictine way. And so it's great because I get to work a little bit with education, with business, with everybody. Well, my colleague, one of the four colleagues that's a part of this Benedictine leadership initiative is Jason Heron. And so Jason's been on before. He's a moral theologian and he's in the Department of Philosophy and Theology down there. And we've brought with him somebody from the Department of Education, Hmm. one of our newest colleagues that joined in 2017 with Jason and I, Jen Weber. And Jen had had started her career up at South Dakota State and has come down and joined the mission at Mount Marty, College, Mount Marty University, and we couldn't be more happy. And so, so uh, the two of them have been working together and doing some research and writing about education. And so today we can have a little chat with them about uh, their work, research, and uh, love of Catholic education. Well, and I was looking through the notes today for our discussion points with these two, and we have 45 minutes with them because it is going to be a really interesting interview, and I'm going to kind of let you take the lead, if that's okay. Sure, sure. Let's go ahead. You know, and do I this. know you don't like to lead, I know, Joe. I know it's I know. difficult. You know, I don't like being out front. You know, <laughs> yeah, if I could whatever. just stay in the back a little whatever. bit more. <laughs> so, good morning to Dr. Jennifer Weber and Dr. Jason Heron. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning. All right. So we've got a lot to talk about, and first, we're going to start off with passion for working in education. How did you first get started in working in the education sector? We'll start with you, Dr. Weber. Oh, geez. Well, this has been a long time running. Um, I was an education major um, in college, and I started my teaching career teaching middle school and high school um, English. I taught in Kansas, and I came back to teach in Brookings, and then I was kind of recruited to come to SDSU to be a middle school specialist, and at that time I got my doctorate in education. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I never thought that that would be me, um, but I love to learn about all of this business. And so my passion is really about um, developing young people. I teach a child and adolescent development course here that I thoroughly love, um, and it's so amazing to watch the students just be mind-blown by something that every one of them has gone through. Um, and so I just get to continue that work here at Mount Marty. That's fantastic. And Jen, where are you originally from? Where do you, are you out of South Dakota or? Sure. So I grew up in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, uh-huh. and my family always had a summer cabin down here by Yankton on the Nebraska side of the lake. Um, and when, that's how I met my husband, um, who was from the Yankton area. Uh, we did a stint in Kansas where he was an engineer um, down there, so that's where uh, my career began. Uh, we wanted to get closer to family before we had a family of our own, and so that was that um, facilitated the, the, the move back to Brookings, um, South Dakota, and um, where he's an engineer for Dactronics. And then really kind of coming here was kind of a God call. Um, an opportunity came. I was not looking to leave SDSU um, but there was something about this position that really drew me. My husband and actually my family and I um, said what we really wanted to do was just let God kind of drive the bus. So we went through the process, and um, and here I am, and I couldn't be happier to be part of just this mission and, and vision that is happening here. Wow, Dr. Weber, that's fantastic. And this idea that education, you, you said that you let God drive the bus. And it's, it's, it's obviously 
you have a sense of calling that this is this is this field of education and even your work at Mount Marty you feel a greater calling to it absolutely absolutely um, it seems like or I should say it seems like here something that I can do is I can I, I can give a language to a lot of the things that we talk about in education. Um, and that was a little bit of the work that Jason and I did this summer, um, was um, the concept of social and emotional learning um, and really kind of diving into that and, and how it's so needed and so necessary in all of our work here in education and in developing humans. Um, and so I have a language for that here. Um, and I also, I'm able to live and breathe um, what I believe. Mm. Um, my classes are small here, and so I don't have to ever be someone who's teaching a class of 75 students and saying, um, so you're not going to do it like this. What you're going to do, you know, I get mm. to actually um, model exactly what I'm hoping they will do as teachers. That is outstanding. You get to live and breathe what you believe. We're going to come back to some of that, uh, the development of humans and this work that you and Jason have jumped into in social and emotional learning. Uh, is your colleague, Dr. Heron, on the line? Yeah, I'm, I'm right here. Can you hear me? Uh, uh, here he is. Here he is. Dr. Heron, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, a little bit about your story and uh, your arrival at Mount Marty. Uh, I moved around a lot as a kid, so I'm not really from anywhere. Uh, but I came to Yankton from Dayton, Ohio, where I was finishing my PhD at the University of Dayton. Um, I'm married to Hannah. We've got 18 years under our belt, and we've got six kids. And uh, we arrived in Yankton, what, three years ago? I'm starting my fourth academic year at Mount Marty University, and um, I think the other piece of the question is how you got into education. Uh, I mean, I don't think that, like, when I was 10, I had the capacity to say, like, I want to be a college professor someday. But um, toward the end of my undergraduate career at Indiana Wesleyan, where I studied English and, and creative writing, I had a teacher there that through my four years in undergrad that really just changed my life. And I remember it toward the end of my time at Indiana Western, probably when I was a senior, I just thought, I have to go on to further study because I want to be able to do what she did for me. I want to be able to do that for others. So I think in undergrad I decided I want to be a college professor. Uh, I didn't know that that would end up... Um, meaning a conversion to Catholicism and becoming a theologian. I thought I was just going to go study literature and somehow teach literature. Uh, but, but now here we are, and I've been teaching for almost 10 years. Uh, so I'm kind of a rookie when it comes to teaching. <laughs> and, uh, Only a decade. <laughs> Only a decade. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it, you know, anyone who teaches, I think, would appreciate calling 10 years, you know, right. just, just mm -hmm. the beginning, just right. the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I was fortunate to go to a, uh, to be accepted into a PhD program that was em heavily emphasized teaching. Mm 
so I taught all through my PhD program. Gotcha. And um, now I'm I'm here with the Mount Marty community, and uh, it's exciting to be a part of the things that are happening at this school as we kind uh, of revitalize um, the school's you know original identity and the original genius of the sisters. So. Uh, I'm not sure if that's everything that I was supposed to say. I think you pass. I think you pass, doctor. That's an A. I'm a a rookie, after all. (laughs) (laughs) Overachiever. Overachiever. (laughs) Well, we're talking a lot about education, and and so I'm kind of curious um, from both of you, and we'll start again with uh, Dr. Jennifer Weber. Um, How would you define education and then its value to a person and to the society as a whole? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> I know. You've got 30 um, seconds. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, got 30 seconds. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I guess I view um, school, like we might be able to actually kind of draw some lines between school and education. Um, but I, I kind of view school um, as like a place to, to practice, to learn. I think it's a place to fail, and I'm not sure mm. that we have celebrated that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and really our purpose here is to help young people to develop the ability to um, engage in um, and engage with the world um, and each other. Um, I often tell my teacher candidates that um, if all we're doing is developing people who can parrot things back, we've, we've so not done our job. Um, Our job is to get them to think and defend and create. Um, And so they have to have an environment that allows them to be able to do that. Um, So I really feel like school or education is really just about the development of people um, and our our ability to, to, to be in the world and engage with the world and engage with each other in the world. That's magnificent. Right? That is magnificent. So, uh, Jen, at the same time you're doing your work in education, Jason and I and Sister Terry and Paul and the were in Benedictine leadership these foundation classes, teaching them the same things. We're teaching them. Uh, for instance, we just read an, a work from the Apology of Justin Martyr. You know, so here I am telling my students about what an apology is, right? That it's their ability to think with their, with their mind and to give a reason, a defense for their belief or their position. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. And so I hear you saying we're not trying to get them to parrot. We're trying to get them to think, defend, and create. Mm-hmm. What a mm-hmm. magnificent opportunity here to see education decompartmentalize, break down the walls between the different disciplines as we as a community of educators seek to form them as a whole person in this magnificent Catholic Benedictine and liberal art tradition. Wow, that's fantastic, Jen. Jason, when you think about education, what might you build on from what Dr. Weber had to say and about its value to the student, to the person, and then what that person contributes to society. Yeah, I like what what Jen said about a distinction between a school and then the task or the 
the process of education. Um, I'm a nerd, so I like to uh, <laughs> pay attention to like how words work. And education is based on a um, a Latin phrase that means to lead out. Um, and so, if you if you are imagining the task of the teacher as leading the student out of something, the question is, of course, what are you leading them out of, and what are you leading them into? And um, you know, Joe, you mentioned our our Benedictine leadership classes. We're fascinated in those classes by the process of uh, transitioning from darkness to light. Um, we use the allegory of Plato's cave, that we're all kind of locked in ignorance, and we have the privilege through education to um, travel to the light of knowledge. And um, so whatever the discipline is, uh, I imagine the task of education to be that transition from darkness to light uh, the role of the school, I think, is interesting. Um, as, as Joseph Pieper taught us uh, by retrieving some ancient Greek wisdom, a school is a place of leisure. A school is a place of freedom. Uh, I love what Jen said about creativity. Uh, and Jen, you also mentioned failing. Uh, this, is, this is great. It's a place to experiment and a place where you are free of the burdens of... Uh, the business of life, so that you can devote all of your energies to this to this transition from darkness to light. And I think students who have gone through that, students who've had that experience of of um, a free space where they can make this transition, uh, have the chance, the the opportunity. They've been invited to contribute to a society that values that. Um, I think all that society can do is value uh, the the role of the school in creating a free space for inquiry and creativity. Um, and students who have undergone education, I think, can be or really are our advocates as as we try to have or try to form a society that supports and advocates for you know robust education in uh, in schools that everyone has access to and schools that are well-resourced, schools that are um, creative and open. So I think that an educated student um, is our best shot at creating a broader culture that values education for everybody. Well, and I'm listening to this, and it sounds... I'm going to play devil's advocate. <laughs> it sounds amazing. And like, I want to go back to college and have this sort of experience, but how do you keep the train on the rails? How do you keep them, even though they're being inquisitive and they're asking a lot of questions and they're thinking for themselves, how do you make sure that that thought process is staying on the tracks and not, um, and where, what are the tracks? You know what I mean? Like, how do we all decide that? Um, Are you talking to me or Jason? Yes. (laughs) 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 Uh, Maybe you could maybe you could clarify for us a little bit what you mean about the keeping the train on the track. See, this is it. This is a philosopher right here. What does he do? He asks a question of your question, right? Yeah. 
And, yeah. and it is good because this is a difficult, right. So when we look at education, Heather, what's the goal that we're trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And then how do we go about accomplishing it? Um, the how, you know, we can have lofty goals, you know, great ideas. How, Jason, how, Jen, do we go about this in a manner where it's effective and it's integrative into the young people or do they just kind of look at it yawn take a nap or you know mm-hmm. how, how do we attract and form young people in what we as adults think is fantastic and we want to go back to school for well and the great question i want to ask is who decides what is right and oh, wrong that's oh, where i'm going oh <laughs> I see where you're going yeah. with this one. I'll let uh, Doctor I'll let Doctor Weber and Doctor Heron tackle this one. <laughs> <laughs> what do you What do you think? How, how How do we go about that conversation? How do we of, guide them the right way? Right. Doctor Heron. Doctor Heron. I, 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 I kind of think Jason should do the technocracy piece here. Right. <laughs> right. So I'll turn it over to you, uh, Doctor Heron. I'll lay the cloak at your feet, and I will allow you to preside. <laughs> so, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm sick. I'm a sick rookie, and uh, I, so the question is, how do we know what is the right thing to teach? Mm-hmm. And how do we make sure that our students get that? Mm-hmm. Is that basically the nub of the question? Yeah, because I'm hearing a lot about um, letting them think for themselves, encouraging them to think for themselves, which is excellent and wonderful but how do you encourage a young adult in the correct direction because they could go off the rails and start believing in something totally nuts really this is magnificent <laughs> i don't know if joe so, wants to get no, rid of me doctor, right now doctor, no no this is the right question this is a great question does that uh, make sense well you you've put your finger on the fact that education is a risk you're you're inviting mm-hmm a student, you're, you're inviting a student to encounter something that they have uh, free choice about. Mm-hmm. They can accept it, they can reject it, they can take it and turn it into something that you never intended them to take it and turn it into. And that is always the truth about, about this process. You're a free person engaging and inviting and encountering another free person. And so I think it's really great to to, uh, to recognize this dynamic, that there's always the issue of risk. Um, this is why, historically, we've kept certain people illiterate, so that we can prevent or we can mitigate or manage that risk. If they're illiterate and uneducated, then we can kind of control them. But once we give them the, the power of, of literacy and the power of, of an education, we are dealing with an unknown quantity or an unknown agent. You don't know what a person is going to do uh, with what you teach them. And so uh, I think the one one part of the answer to your question is that there is no answer. I mean, mm-hmm. this, is the, mm-hmm. this is the adventure of being an educator. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into when you encounter <laughs> another free human being and you give them this body of knowledge. Now, we can try to pretend... <laughs> I love it. Can, Try to pretend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to, uh, w- that we can control uh, the student and what they do with the knowledge that they've been given. 
but I don't think that that uh, works. I don't think that that works. I think you either get parrots or, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what the other alternative is. I think you, only, you just get parrots. And we don't love, we don't love uh, turning out parrots. Um, yeah, it I does it. mitigate the risk of the freedom involved in the education, the power, the, the, the risk of, of giving people that power. But um, it's not, it's not a, historically speaking. I love it. Right. And, and or society to value having parents. Right. Um, and when we come back from the, the break. The word is risk. Right, risk. right, right, this risk. When we come back from the break, maybe we'll jump into uh, the second part of that question just a little bit. And that is this idea that says, um, is what is true, good, noble, and beautiful attractive of itself? Like, is this mm-hmm. something that, like, I have to coerce? I walk right. into a classroom and I got to coerce, I got to manipulate right. my kids to be good or yeah. to do the right, right. thing or like I I Oh, I love this. This is wait. the fundamental problem. We right. think that this is like a coercion. I get No. Well, it, from our perspective as as Christians and as educators, we actually believe that this thing that we would call truth, goodness, beauty, justice is attractive in and of itself. Oh my god. And goodness. we get to be guides that help allow young people to come awake to become seekers themselves, like Plato, Socrates, like the Greeks encouraged us, and Christ and the Christians have encouraged us All right. to walk our own journey into truth. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help them to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Each week, Real Presence Radio honors a priest in our listening area with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Nominate your priest at realpresenceradio.com and tune in to hear more about these holy men of God. Have you ever worried about someone's salvation, especially one who died by suicide? I'm Father Chris Alar. Sometimes the state of their soul seems to cause us fear for their eternal fate. They die in what seems to be a hopeless state of sin and unrepentance. However, Jesus says in 1698 of the Diary of St. Faustina that what looks hopeless to us is in fact not so. He says that many times the soul illuminated by a ray of his final grace turns to him in the last moment to receive complete forgiveness of all sin and punishment, although we see no external signs of this. Wow! We can see why Jesus said that divine mercy is mankind's last hope of salvation. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. 
It's a great time to spring into summer at Riverview Senior Living Community in Fargo. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. We are currently accepting new independent and assisted living residents. Riverview provides a safe, comfortable place to live with a small town Main Street feel with home-cooked food, a la carte care services, daily activities, and mass five days a week. You can contact Marin or Katie to find out about all that Riverview has to offer at 701-237-4700 or at homeishere.org. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back. I'm Heather Carroll. And I'm Joe Rutten. And we're broadcasting this morning from the Mustard Seed Catholic Store in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We have started our morning off with a very interesting uh, discussion between Dr. Jennifer Weber and Dr. Jason Heron, both from the Mount Marty University. And we have really dove in deeply into education. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, there, we, as we left the break previously, and uh, Dr. Weber uh, it comes from education world, and Dr. Heron comes from the theology world, both of them together, obviously, mm-hmm. are educators. And so we were just talking, Heather, about like, how do we get, how do we determine what is the right path? What's, the, right. what's true? What's, who's right? These types of things. And then how do we get our students interested in that thing? And I had just kind of mentioned, like, my job isn't to manipulate the students. My job mm-hmm. is to propose something to them and then to allow that dialogue to occur, questions and answers and a pursuit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to inflame their own heart mm-hmm. on the pursuit of what is wise, true, and good. Uh, Dr. Heron, any thoughts on that idea of student engagement? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> He's like, well, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's sharpening his knives. <laughs> He's like, How long yep. do you have? <laughs> um, so I'll tell a story. Uh, I was teaching an introduction to Christianity, and we were spending a week in the, in the first chapter of St. John's Gospel, one of my favorite things to teach. Um, kind of the heart of classical Christology, and um, I'm lecturing and thinking that, you know, I am just a steward of the mystery, just unlocking the, 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 <laughs> the riches of Scripture and, and leading, leading my, my, my beautiful students to, you know, the throne room. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look in the back of the class, and there's one dude asleep. <laughs> and I like, so for me, this is the most important thing I will do all year, teach about John 1. And for him, uh, this is exhausting. And uh, I, w- I started to get a little bit upset after class, and then I realized that um, we were reading John 1, and John is one of the disciples who fell asleep in the garden while the Lord was uh, undergoing his agony on the way to, to the cross. Hmm. And so I started to think about our, our, you know, kind of poor, lazy, besotted condition. And I just decided that I couldn't get upset with my students for not engaging, because if... Um, 
there were people who were in the presence of truth, goodness, and beauty itself in the flesh walking around. And they weren't constantly alive, just vibrating with curiosity and, and, and delight and even terror. That is, if the disciples can fall asleep, then um, my students can fall asleep too. And so, um, before the break, we used the, the idea of risk to describe uh, kind of the adventure of education. You just don't know what's going to happen when you give a student, any human being, you know, literacy and knowledge. Um, here's another risk, I think. You just, you cannot predict and you cannot uh, manage how this, a free human person will respond to the presentation or the invitation to encounter truth, goodness, and beauty. Um, every, you know, we're, we're fond in the, in, the, in the Catholic Church of describing humans as pilgrims, and um, sometimes it's just not your time to, to encounter, you're just not ready to encounter um, truth, goodness, and beauty. I know in my life, uh, I'm certainly not as ready as I hope to be uh, when I'm older. So, I do think that there's, you know, there's the constant uh, fear that, that a teacher is going to go in, whatever the discipline, mm-hmm. the teacher is going to go into the class and the students are just going to be disengaged. But the, the flip side of this risk, this adventure, is that, you know, sometimes they're unexpectedly engaged. You just never know um, what, what they're going to respond to, what their heart is going to kindle to. Right. And if we uh, believe in a providential creator... Uh, that we seek in truth, goodness, justice, beauty, um, then maybe we have to look at this a little bit like Augustine and understand that uh, their heart is it, it desires the more, it desires this, but maybe they're not at the point mm-hmm. yet where they are open to it or, you know, but that they are, there is a restlessness and at some point in their life that that restlessness will lead them to uh, an awakening or a presence or an opening uh, where they find their rest in the Creator, in Christ. Um, but if my objective is to walk in the room and uh, demand, <laughs> I think I've uh, taken the, the first step to uh, disenfr- disenfranchisement. And uh, maybe maybe if we kind of can transit. Yeah, Jen, I was going to transition to you, so, so go ahead and follow up on that. And then I'd love to know a little bit more about your work with social and emotional learning. Sure. I, I guess I'm sitting over here and I'm thinking about um, the logistical pieces of teaching. Mm. Um, you know, I teach a methodology class, for example. And the other day I um, asked the students to just do some brainstorming about if, you know, it is 9.02 and the bell rings and you are the biology teacher, the English teacher, the Spanish teacher, um, I also have PE, um, what role, what roles, I had them do some brainstorming about different roles that teachers have in that 901 classroom and different roles that the students have. And so they were doing some brainstorming and I said, you know, let's be real here. Um, the role that you play, if, if you can really hammer out being facilitator and they are the ones who are, I call it in my classes, have the students do the heavy lifting, 
um, instead of them just being listeners or receivers, um, have them be people who are active in 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 discussion, active in debate, active in whatever it is. Um, if that's their role, um, they're, they they may get that encounter. They may get that thing that asks them to think about it. And it was really interesting because one of the students said, I've never really thought about roles. And when you really kind of, you know, because I talk a lot about verbs and I say, you know, what are, what are you having them do? And if what you're having them do is write notes, um, you're, they're, they're not, they're not engaged. They're not, they're not with you. They're not thinking about it. They're not, you know, they might be, they might be, and that would be great. Um, but the only way we can guarantee that they're even going to entertain um, content is to have them work with it. I used to have a colleague who used to say wrestle with it. Mm. Um, and so that, and that content of engagement is super huge. Um, and I think for a long time we have, you know, if, it, it, if we build it, they will come kind of idea. And I don't know that that's always the case. I think we have to facilitate um, that, that ball game um, and get them, you know, whether that's by asking questions, whether that's by having them create, right, um, right. defend, you know. Um, right. And so we can't just tell them things. Right. Um, teaching that's is not an art. Teaching and that's not learning. Yeah. Right, right. Teaching is an art. There's technique. There are methodologies. It's not, it's not like you just uh, open your brain, open their brain, and kind of input your information. <laughs> Darn it. If that's the yeah. case of what we were doing, um, I think that online <clears throat> learning would be a little more effective. Oh. But we'll, <laughs> yeah. save, we'll save that for another conversation. <laughs> so, so tell me, I, I think you two have been up to a little bit of work. Have you guys been collaborating, doing a little research, doing a little writing? Uh, Jen, I know you had mentioned social and emotional learning. Tell us what you two have going on professionally. <laughs> sure. Well, I always tease Jason that I'm so honored to get to work with him because I could listen to him talk about this stuff all day long. Um, and I am a rabbit hole person, so I hear these great things that he says, and then I go down these rabbit holes. But I really think um, the one of the really Im- important takeaways from our work this summer for me was just looking at national legislation about um, accountability in education and um, where that has been and where it appears to be going. Um, you know, the No Child Left Behind era um, was really, you know, kind of this response to wanting accountability for students and for teachers. Um, and while there's really great things about it, um, I think, you know, Jason can really talk about, you know, just the technocratic way um, that education has you know, eliminated the humanness um, because of the accountability piece, right? So, um, you know, in the beginning, I can remember giving some examples about how, you know, schools used to, you know, I can remember being a kid and they'd bring someone in to talk about drug prevention, right? And you'd walk out of that auditorium and you'd be talking about their story. Um, And, you know, in some cases, we've eliminated all of those things in the name of those reading and math scores. Um, even even particular content areas were eliminated because really, we just needed a good math and reading score. And so um, we've moved away from that um, a, a little bit with the Every Student Succeeds Act. 
Um, and that has allowed us to free up a little bit of space and energy um, to put the, the, the concept of working with others, the concept of getting along, um, the concept of, um, you know, uh, caring for a neighbor. Um, and these all fall into this big bucket called social-emotional learning. And, you know, many of us would probably argue that bucket isn't big enough. Um, we would like that bucket to be bigger um, because everything we're learning in school, that's the context by which it, you know, it, it's used is everything else in that bucket. So um, that was really kind of the the gist of our, our work is just seeing, like, maybe why are we where we are at um, with um, it, it feeling novel to say, I'm going to really care um, about my neighbor in my classroom, I'm going to really care about my students um, and getting them to, like, analyze whether they have empathy or don't have empathy and different things like that. Right. And so uh, maybe, Dr. Heron, um, I hear the word technocrat coming here, (laughs) and maybe this is in response to something. Could you just uh, help fill in Dr. Weber's reflection upon social and emotional learning and a human dimension to work in relationship to maybe a technocratic education. What's technocratic? <laughs> there yeah, techno- we go. <laughs> techno- technocratic uh, means kind of like rule by technique. Okay. Uh, so if you have the right process in place, uh, then you just, we, we love that phrase, trust the process. And in some cases, that's a great phrase, but in some cases, it's damaging because you're you're not asking questions about why you're engaged in the process in the first place. And so, um, a technocratic education. Uh, the, I I honestly believe really a, a great image of that is that kind of obsession with standardized testing. Mm-hmm. If we can just give them the content, unzip their heads and unzip our heads, and and give them the content, and then we see that they have the right scores, then we know we have given them an education. Mm. And the technique is in place, mm-hmm. right? Just drill them, test them, measure the numbers. Um, and social-emotional learning is a, re- is a response against that kind of thinking. By, uh, and it, it responds to that kind of thinking by saying, by asking the teacher to look at the student as more than a test taker or as more than a source of um, accountability measurement for the school system and as first a free human person who's got a destiny. And that destiny, as we well know, uh, is life with other people and hopefully peaceful, satisfying, flourishing life with other people. Uh, And if we think that education is only about memorizing when the French Revolution started, then even if we ever learn about the French Revolution, um, then then we've completely uh, evacuated education of all of its human content, and we're building little fleshy computers, I guess. (laughs) So, um, yeah, a technocratic paradigm within education is, is obsessed with processes, but doesn't step back far enough to ask the question of why we're engaged in the processes in the first place. That's, uh, I, I don't tell know if that you, was helpful. No, yeah, that's very helpful. I think that especially in light of the pandemic mm-hmm. where, you know, we all are reevaluating education. Parents are reevaluating. Right. I'll tell you the first thing mm-hmm. I learned was 
that I am not taking what my son is learning at school and integrating it at home. And an example of that is one of his lessons was on the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It was on self-control. The minute I had to teach him the virtue of temperance and self-control, all of a sudden I was using it like throughout the entire day. Anytime I was referring to something where he was trying to control his emotions, I would begin using this lesson of self-control that he had learned at school. I had kind of abdicated my responsibility to the schools, and I wasn't in union with Mm -hmm. my son. And I'm in Catholic education, right? (laughs) I'm a professor. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I thought, wow, if Mm. if I'm just coming to this, imagine where we're at. So it just encouraged me because it said, oh, boy, we are all in this together. And perfection is probably not going to be possible on this side of uh, reality, but... Today, I'm going to do a little bit better by engaging my young people and my own children in their education in less of a technocratic way and more of a human way. Gives us a lot to think about. Thank you so much, Jennifer Weber and Dr. Jason Heron. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we could have had a two-hour conversation I think we can put this on the schedule for the future. We'll have you back. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So, Joe... In many places, sports are being canceled. Yeah, but we're yeah, gonna yeah. we're gonna be chatting with a couple of people who's kicking off their football season with a new exciting event. So we'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> 